Welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please welcome your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show, the only internet radio show dedicated to giving you real solutions to improve your health. Not only are they real solutions, but they're natural solutions as well. Because as you know, the one and only true wealth you have is your health. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc, and I'm committed to helping you find the root cause of your health problem, fix the cause with natural treatments so you can feel normal again and live your life to the fullest. I'm so excited about today's show because my special guest is Dr. Jillian Sarno-Tita. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Dr. Tita is the author of Natural Solutions for Digestive Health and creator of the Fix Your Digestion Gut Restoration Program, an online do-it-yourself comprehensive system that can be used by anyone with digestive distress or digestive disorders to feel better. Dr. Tita is also the president of the North Carolina Association of Naturopathic Physicians and practices at the Naturopathic Health Clinic of North Carolina in Winston-Salem. Dr. Tita, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. It's always excited, exciting to talk to a fellow doctor about digestion because it's so darn important for our health. <laughs> yes, it is. It sure is. It really, really is. So yeah. so there's so much exciting research coming out right now about the importance of digestion, the importance of the gut microbiome. So can you talk a little bit about why digestion is so important for us? Oh, this is such a juicy topic. And I, I too am so pumped to be on here with you, a fellow digestive expert. So I think that the the interesting way to talk about digestion in terms of its importance for human health and well-being is not only because the digestive system is the avenue through which we import and absorb our nutrition, but this system also is, acts like the grand central station of the body, having major implications for our immune health, right? Two-thirds of our immune system resides in the digestive tract, it houses our microbiome, which also heavily influences the immune system. Not only do we have the immune system, we also have a vast neuronal network in the GI tract, right? The second brain, the enteric nervous system, which has a bimodal and sort of reciprocal feedback uh, relationship with our central nervous system. The gastrointestinal system also recycles and builds many different hormones impacting the endocrine system and our our neurotransmitters, you know, about two-thirds to three-quarters to even 90% in some cases of neurotransmitters and receptor density of neurotransmitters are made and manufactured and manipulated in the GI tract. And so that's sort of the health arm. And then from a from a more holistic arm, if we consider how much money our fellow Americans are spending on digestive aids, whether they are over-the-counter or prescription in terms of laxatives and acid blockers and 
all these different types of digestive aids, and then we combine that with cost of medical care for digestive conditions, cost of missed work, we have billions and billions of dollars that we're spending in our hard-earned money that really, if we had a good look at our lifestyle and worked through some of the framework that we're going to be talking about today, that we would, gosh, we would be in much better shape, I think. I think so too. (laughs) So as you were saying, the digestive system is, as you consider like Grand Central Station, it connects pretty much to everything else. Yes. I mean, really, there's not, I can't think of like any cell or system in the body that the digestive system is not interacting with daily. And I think it's interesting because a lot of folks aren't aware of that. They think, oh, you know, it's just the, uh, you know, it's kind of the shoot, you know, I, I uh, throw some food in there and don't even think about it until I, you know, get the call from nature. But really, we're, it's doing so, so much more than that. So you mentioned a lot of stuff there. There's the gut immune response. There's the gut brain response. There's the gut hormonal response. There's the gut detox response. There's so (laughs) many things. Yes. So to have good digestion, a few different pieces of the puzzle have to be in place, right? Can you speak a little bit about that? Yes. Yes. So this is a great, this is a great uh, framework that I use all the time, and I'm sure you're heavily familiar it, with it as well, especially since it's a, it's a tenant of functional medicine. So essentially, not only do we have to be eating foods that are appropriate for us, right? And this means, you know, finding and eliminating food sensitivities if they are present, considering diagnoses or conditions that we may have and eating for those, um, and then also eating for our symptoms. So not only do we have to look at the type, the types of foods that we're eating and finding our own unique individual nutrition that's best for our body in this moment, we also have to consider the way in which we eat it. So we have to kind of slow down when we eat and not just like wolf down our food like a bunch of animals on the run. Another important consideration is our ability to digest our food. So I use the term digestive fire to refer to the body's ability to break down proteins and fats and carbohydrates into the constituent building block molecules of amino acids, fatty acids, and starches so that they can be absorbed through the use of digestive acid, digestive enzymes, and bile. So we got to have our digestive fire strong. And then we have to have a robust and non-infected, non-dysbiotic microbiome. The integrity of the lining of the GI tract should be intact top to bottom. And then, of course, we should have balance of our second brain, the enteric nervous system. So those are very broad, sweeping concepts. And many people will have sort of deficiencies or weaknesses in one or two of those areas, sometimes more. And by focusing in and honing in on those things, we're able to bring up the entire system and really sort of tune and optimize digestion, make it more efficient, which of course, in turn, because of this multi-layered relationship that it has with all the other systems in the body, brings up our overall health. Okay, so I like that you call it uh, digestive fire. Yeah, I'm married to an acupuncturist, so... So he's got that traditional Chinese medicine slant. So I think it's a good, I think it's a good way to think about it. So what things happen, what kind of things happen to our digestive system or our digestive fire as we get older? And then what can we do about those things? Yeah, great, great question. So the main thing, well, two main things, the, the things that I think about when I begin seeing folks that are, you know, over maybe 45, 50, 55 years old, 
couple different categories to think about that are important. The first is our digestive fire actually decreases a little bit. And why is this? This is because the production of stomach acid, which is a very energetically expensive uh, commodity to make because the pH is so low, our ability to make adequate amounts of acid can become compromised as we age and cellular processes, cellular energy begins to slow. We see a concomitant slowing of the production of not only stomach acid, but also pancreatic enzymes. The other major thing that can happen as we begin to age, and that often happens, is that second brain that we talked about that regulates and monitors and sort of manages and manipulates all aspects of digestion this begins to come become a little bit more fixed and not as flexible. And what does this mean? This means that things that might have not thrown us off in terms of our motility, our regularity, our level of comfort, our level of bloating, things that maybe didn't turn us, you know, sort of turn us upside down 30 years ago now are, meaning that there's there's less flexibility in the system. So travel might really throw the GI tract off. Stress might really throw the GI tract off. So in this way, it's very important that as we age, we begin to support both our second brain and our digestive fire. Okay, so then what are some ways that we can do that? How can we support our second brain and our yes. digestive fire? Yes. So here I go back to really thinking about the way in which we eat, because this, the way in which we eat actually can cover both of these bases. So here's how I usually coach up my clients. When they eat, I have them sit down. I have them put their butt in a chair. I have them, before they actually begin to eat, take six to ten deep breaths. This deep breathing before eating has been shown to balance up the enteric nervous system. Also, it increases the awareness of our central nervous system that we are having food come in. So food is incoming and this helps stimulate the production of acids and enzymes and bile release. Next, I have people slow down when they eat. So I have them put away their electronics, I have them close out their podcasts, I put, have them put down their phone, and I have them actually be present with their food. So slowing down and chewing really well. So not counting bites or anything like this, but just chewing until the food is a soft, a soft paste, let's call it that. And then minding our manners and not talking with our mouth full of food because this introduces excess air into the system that can create issues later. So by focusing in on that, we're balancing a second brain and we are giving our body an opportunity to create more digestive fire. Now we can take it a step further. Some people actually need supplementation of their digestive fire and in terms of that we can go with food type stuff like bitter foods, um, bitters, digestive bitters, apple cider vinegar, things like that in the beginning of the meal to help stimulate fire or we can do frank supplementation of digestive enzymes and or supplemental stomach acid. However, I am going to say, if anyone's considering supplementing with stomach acid, the form of which would be betaine HCL, that you make sure that you do not have gastritis or an ulcer. Okay, so you mentioned something there that I love talking to patients about, and that's using bitters, whether Mm -hmm. whether taking herbal digestive bitters or eating more bitter foods. So can you kind of expand on that and why 
that is so important. Yeah. So even the even like a little bit of black coffee, uh, black tea is is also a really sort of tonifying digestive aid. So these bitter foods, again, from a Chinese perspective, we or traditional Chinese medicine perspective, we can say that they're stimulating or supportive of the liver, right, which is one of the digestive organs, also one of the organs of detoxification. However, what also what happens is these tannins that are in these plants that are that are in these bitter foods that are giving them this bitter taste, they help stimulate what's called the gastrocolic reflex, which is that reflex that helps things get moving after after or as we are eating. So that in and of itself helps stimulate the production of enzymes, acids, and such, and helps keep us regular. Yeah, so for the listeners out there, if you feel like you eat a meal and it just kind of sits in your stomach, or if you just feel like your your um, bowel transit time is just sluggish, or, or you do have frank constipation, the bitters can be so helpful. Yes, absolutely. And they're not really expensive, and you don't even have to get the supplemental version. You can just get bitter greens, and, you know, it's it's springtime here, so it's really sort of the season for for these bitter greens. So Jillian, what are your favorite bitter foods? Oh, I love dandelion. <laughs> so I actually eat a lot of a lot of dandelion leaves and I eat a lot of kale and I use apple cider vinegar in many of my salads. My favorite salad dressing is olive oil, apple cider vinegar, lemon, salt, pepper, and garlic powder. Very uh, simple and not super fancy, but super delicious. But I do have to say, Carrie, I think my favorite bitter of all time, and I'm not afraid to claim it, is coffee. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I do tend to forget about that one as a bitter. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny because a lot of people rely on it, whether overly so or what have you. Yeah, coffee is a a great bitter. Okay, so I'm going to ask you, because I was uh, born and raised in the Midwest, and I've never heard of anybody eating dandelion greens. So how, do you eat those raw? Do you saute them like you would spinach or shard or something like that? Oh, wow. Yeah, you've never had dandelion greens? Goodness, no, girl, you got to come no. to the East Coast and we'll make you a dandelion salad. Okay. So, so yeah, you re- so raw is going to be pretty hardcore. That's going to be really bitter. It's, your taste buds are going to be singing to you. You could do them raw. I usually tend to make them like I would make any other green. So I tend to finely chop them, you know, I like to mince them up, and then I saute them in a little bit of olive oil, again, with my magic combination of salt and pepper and garlic powder, and they're really nice. You can mix them with other greens to kind of cut it down a little bit, um, and then if you have a big green salad, cutting up some dandelion leaves and tossing them into that salad is also a great way to work them in. Okay, fantastic. Well, thanks for those tips. <laughs> yeah, I love to cook, and I've just figured out that that's like the best way to make greens is to saute them in olive oil, maybe some excellent quality butter with salt and pepper and garlic powder. It's my secret formula. Okay, so I wanted to kind of switch gears and talk about the second brain a little bit more. Okay. So, So, yeah, so how does that affect our digestive tract and how does that change as we get older? Okay, so, so the second brain is this, aka the enteric nervous system. It's this vast neuronal network, this plexus of nerves that starts at the base or the lower esophageal sphincter and lines the entire gastrointestinal system all the way down, all the way down to the anus. And 
acting like a literal second brain, it is sort of the commander-in-chief of digestion, monitoring how much food is in what segment of, you know, which intestine, when and where at all times. So it's looking at pH, it's looking at volume, it's looking at how many enzymes do we need here, it's looking at what's our motility like, it's looking at what's our microbiome doing. It is, it's got its fingers in all of those aspects of digestion that we talked about earlier. So it is man- managing and monitoring all aspects of digestion, including our motility and our regularity, meaning how frequently we poop. The interesting thing about the second brain is that even though it operates independently from the central nervous system, which is to say the brain and spinal cord, it does have like a bimodal relationship with it, meaning it receives input from the central nervous system and it also gives information to the central nervous system. As we begin to age, our all of our nervous systems have less flexibility built into them. There's just inherently less flexibility. You know, we have this sort of cultural cliche about being, you know, stuck in our ways, meaning we get completely stressed out if things don't go according to our routine or our plan. And this is very much like mirroring how the nervous systems change as we begin to age. Okay, fantastic. So how do we try and get more flexibility within that yep. system? I know that's the million dollar question, right? So here's how here's how I talk about maintaining and obtaining flexibility in the system. It looks like a few things. My absolute favorite way to balance the enteric nervous system is to have folks get into the habit of going on a daily walk, preferably in nature, preferably in the forest. And I'm talking not about like a power walk, like Jane Fonda and ankle weights and things like that. I'm talking about sort of like a a stop to smell the roses stroll, where I really coach up about what I call sense drenching, which is when you're walking, you are feeling the air and the sun on your skin. You are looking at what is immediately in front of you, whether it's a car or a tree or a bird or a cat or what have you. You're hearing the sounds that are immediately present. You are, if you catch or when you catch your mind, you know, moseying off in a million different directions, you bring it back to that present moment. So it's almost as if we're practicing a walking meditation. And there's this really neat word in Japanese called shinrin-yoku, which literally translates into forest bathing. So forest bathing or your daily walk is but one of many ways through which we can balance the enteric nervous system. And this speaks to just a very broad uh, system through which doing relaxing, more relaxing type activity in conjunction with appropriate exercise, whether that's weight training, interval training, and of course by that I'm talking like subjective to the person. So what's intense for one might be not intense for another, but that doesn't matter what's intense for others. It only matters what's intense for you. So combining functional movements like slow relaxing movements with exercise, those two approaches are wildly important. And then the other piece that I would be amiss to not mention is getting appropriate sleep and adequate sleep. 
You know, I never really thought about that exercise component, Jillian. But now mm-hmm. that you mentioned that, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I just kind of had a little aha moment in my brain. I'm doing this whole, um, I'm doing this whole three-year functional neurology certification program, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, we talk a lot about um, how can we use movement to exercise and kind of strengthen different areas of the brain. But yes. yeah, so as you were talking about getting exercise for your second brain, for your gut brain, mm-hmm. I realized, oh yeah, so getting more movement in your body helps your brain brain, but it also helps your second brain. That t- makes total sense now that you said that. Yes, and, and I'll let you in on a little clinical pearl that I've stumbled across a number of times in those really stubborn cases of constipation, getting people to move. like, And when I say move, I don't just mean necessarily exercise. When I say move, I mean like get out there walking, like taking the stairs, parking far away, like just moving a little bit more. You get them to move a little bit and maybe even get them exercising, and then their bowels will move. So I say movement equals movement. It's Mm -hmm. very difficult in these stubborn, chronic constipation cases sometimes, and and often those stubborn, chronic constipation cases lead us directly back to the second brain. You know, as you know, it's not always like a fiber issue. I mean, rarely is it, (laughs) because if it is, they probably already would have figured it out and not come to see us, right? That's right. That's right. Okay, so I wanted to kind of switch gears and talk about some of the most commonly prescribed drugs that are given to people that have digestive disorders and how those medications are actually making our digestion worse. Yeah, so the first one that pops into my mind is the all the different classes of the acid blockers, right? The proton pump inhibitors, the H2 antagonists, like all of those guys, your prevacids, your prilosex, your protonics, like all of those guys. What these drugs are doing is they are suppressing the release of stomach acid, making us produce much less. And thus, a major consequence, there's two major consequences to this. But before I go into the consequences, I just want to throw it out there that it's very interesting to note that this class of drugs, when it was originally approved by the FDA, they were only approved initially for no more than nine months of consecutive use. And I don't know about you, my friend, but I see people that have been on these babies for decades. They are prescribed like candy, and they have a bifold uh, devastation on the body, in my opinion. The first is that you by suppressing acid production you are essentially suppressing digestive function so you are weakening the digestive capacity of the body you're dampening that digestive fire and in turn this is going to create issues of malabsorption there's no faster way to deplete a human's health than to weaken their digestive system so we have these malabsorptions particularly of nutrients that require acid for their acid or intrinsic factor for their absorption. And of course, I'm thinking about B12 and folate and B6 and iron and calcium and all of those guys. So we have the real issue of potentially osteopenia, osteoporosis down the line, anemias, these types of things, infertility. And then on the other side, we have an increased risk of a wide variety of different types of infections, whether they're upper respiratory infections, genitourinary infections, gastrointestinal infections, the most famous of which would be something like C. diff. But I think a lot of people forget that our stomach acid, the mighty stomach acid, is actually a major uh, defense 
of our body helps us kill pathogens. So when we remove that, we're opening ourselves up to increased risks of different infections. And this is very well established in the literature, particularly about community acquired infections and things like that. Julian, I could just keep talking to you all day about digestion here. <laughs> I know, me too. I love it. It's my favorite subject. Um, I know we're starting to run low on time. Is there anything um, else you want to say about uh, digestion that we haven't talked about that you think is important for our listeners to know? Yes, there there are a couple things that I'd like to throw out there to the listeners, or really one main thing, and that is to take care of our microbiomes. So our microbiomes are this colony of beneficial bacteria that reside in our large intestine. I'm sure everybody knows this, and they're estimated you know, the, the newest estimates were that they were just one trillion strong, but everywhere up to 100 trillion. And these guys are really taking a hit. So I would encourage everybody to do what they can for their microbiome. And the microbiome eats what we eat. And what they like to eat is a lot of fiber because they take this fiber and then they turn it into short-chain fatty acids and different compounds that are very beneficial. So I'd encourage everybody to get a couple servings of veggies or fruits or green tea or raw honey or anything that's rich in these prebiotic fibers. And I would greatly encourage your listeners to use antibiotics judiciously. So only when necessary. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Jillian, how can our listeners find out more about you? Okay, so, well, I do love social media, so I have a blog that is www.fixyourdigestion.com. There you can sign up for my newsletter, and then, of course, I'm on facebook.com as Fix Your Digestion, and on Twitter and Instagram, I am simply at Jillian Tita, and my book that you mentioned, Natural Solutions for Digestive Health, that's available in bookstores everywhere, and Amazon, and Barnes Noble, and all of those things. So I'm pretty easy to find on social media, and I love connecting with people, especially about digestion. So for the listeners out there, if you happen to be out doing your walking in the woods, or you're doing yeah. your <laughs> you're doing your interval trainer training or yeah. whatnot, I'll make sure that all of those links are in the podcast notes so that you can easily find Jillian. Uh, Jillian, thank you so much for being my special guest today. This has just been an awesome interview. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, that wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Dr. Jillian Sarno-Tata. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next week for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carey is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carey is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please tell your friends about the Functional Medicine Radio Show, and we'll see you next week with more from Dr. Carey.